this is Victoria, and you're tuned in to the Wellness Collective. Hey, y'all. I'm Ashley Nicole, and uh, today I have a very special co-host, Brittany. Brittany and all of our guests fall into a category of people that I like to call superheroes. They're all mothers. Brittany, tell us about yourself. I am a mother of four. My oldest is 15, then it goes to 10, six, and three months. I recently just had a baby. I own my own tax preparation company. I am a real estate agent, and I am a life insurance case manager. So I live a hectic life with a lot of hectic kids at the same time. However, I make it work. <laughs> awesome. I can't wait to hear more of your story while we're um interviewing our guests today. Um, before we get to our guests, I did want to remind all of you that are watching, if you have not already, please hit the subscribe button and turn on your YouTube notifications so that you don't miss anything from Cheese on My Cracker. Um, we have our men's, um, State of the Black Men's Mental Health series. We have our regular show, Getting My Cheese Back on My Cracker. And we have this show, which is the Women's Collective. Please turn on, hit that subscribe button and turn on those notifications so that you know every time we're having any show. And now I'd like to welcome our guests to the stage. Um, hey, y'all. Hello. <laughs> um, before we get started, can you introduce yourselves? Tell us a little bit about yourselves in no particular order. Okay, I'm going to go first since this is my first live stream. My name is Candace. Everyone calls me Candy. Uh, I am a mom of a soon-to-be 15-year-old. He does not let me call him 14. Uh, he lives in Florida with my ex-husband and his stepmom. I recently started my own LLC, uh, which is called the CLC, which provides uh, virtual administrative uh, services to startup companies. Um, I also work full-time for New York Urban League, uh, which is a non-profit. And I volunteer for a dope uh, non-profit, The Royalty Project, and uh, do a bunch of other stuff. But I'm here, I'm excited, and I'm ready to go. Thank you for having me. Thank you, thank you. Hello, hello. My name is Rabia Duncan. I am the founder of The Mommy Grind. I have two beautiful babies, um, an eight-year-old. I always have to pause when I say eight because she thinks she's 16. Eight, almost nine-year-old daughter and a three-year-old son um, from New Jersey and recently moved to Georgia a year ago, you know, a lot of people ask, like, did you move for a job? Did you move for opportunities? And I'm like, no, I just moved for a fresh start in a new state, doing a new thing. Um, and the journey has been interesting. You know, we've come out of COVID or I think we're still in it. Right. Um, but the journey has been interesting. I'm really excited to be here today to talk to other moms and share some of those experiences. Awesome. Awesome. So that leaves us with our latest and greatest, Nia. <laughs> Good evening, y'all. Happy summer. My name is Nia Hooper-Mason. I'm the founder and chief affirmation officer of Love Joy Originals. We are a sustainable clothing brand that creates premium essentials that inspire. I am a mother to mother and love steward to eight-year-old triplets, Noah, Cole, and Amaya my original love joys and the inspiration for my brand. I'm excited 
to be here. So thank you for inviting me um, into this circle of beautiful women um, to talk about um, our wellness practices and journeys and to also share about um, our mamahood journey. Awesome, awesome. I'm so glad to have all of y'all here. Um, one of the reasons that I'm excited about this episode is because I'm genuinely interested in mothers and wellness. You all do so much. Like I said, y'all are superheroes. I want to kind of get into what it is that like um, each of you do a lot. What is it that you do? Um, how did you get to the point of where you were helping people as a mom? and you decided that your mission aligns with being a mom? Yeah, welcome back. I'll jump in. Um, <laughs> I'll jump in, uh, answer that question. Um, so again, I'm the founder of The Mommy Grind. And The Mommy Grind started as a Facebook group uh, almost six years ago. We're going into year six. And during that time, I was a new mom and I love being a mom, but I love working, right? Um, but in that time, you know, I felt alone in my, in my journey. Um, so what got me through some of the feels and the emotions of this, this battle between working a lot and being the best mom, I had two other good friends who were, um, that had just had ch children. One was a single mom, one was getting divorced. So the three of us, three different situations, but we were all like, what I say, crying in the bathroom, right? We were tortured by um, wanting to live our best lives and have careers, but we are responsible for these, these little beings. So I said, I know we're not the only ones. And I found a hundred friends, family, and started a Facebook group to talk about the journey. But in the beginning, all I cared about talking about was motherhood and work, work-life balance, or this thing that we call work-life balance. And nobody wanted to talk about that. Everybody wanted to talk about, you know, what is the solution? What is the solution on how do we make it all work? Um, and it wasn't until a mom asked a question about breastfeeding, and then the group took off. So we went from 100 moms to 46,000 moms across the globe and the common theme is you are not alone. So in this space, everyone is sharing their experiences, their fears, their doubts, their confusion, everything in this safe environment. <clears throat> and, you know, it has helped me a lot because even though I created this space, that's almost like my Google to find the solution. Um, so I'm really proud of what we've created. Um, I think that's how I met Miss Nia, right? She's one of our members um, and has been in our community for uh, many years. Um, so like I said, I'm really proud of the space that we've created. Um, and what it unveiled was that mental health was probably the number one challenge that moms, <clears throat> excuse me, have been experiencing. Um, and even though we have this safe space, no one was willing to say, I'm struggling <laughs> or raise their hand and say, I need help. So this year, you know, every year we come up with a new theme around motherhood um, and what the needs are. But this year we're really focused on mental health and saying it's OK to feel all the feels. And you have a, a group of women that 
I always say, I bet you $1, there's one other mother that's going through what you're going through. Um, so that's how I was able to merge, you know, my experience and create a community of like-minded women across the globe. So I didn't hear the question, but if I okay. <laughs> I wanted to ask, um, so you all are super, super humans and you also are super um, involved in everything that you do. What is it that you did? What was it when you got to that point where you decided you were going to be super and be a mom? I think I'm still on my journey, honestly. Um, every step I take is... Um, is a step to make myself proud and ultimately my son. Um, three years ago, uh, I decided, well, my ex-husband and I both decided that it was in both of their best interests and mine as well for him to live with him full time. So I um, currently am transplanting to Georgia, but at the time I was living in New York and his father lives in Florida. And that was the hardest decision I had to make um, as a mom but also know that it was the best decision because I had to give my child uh, a chance to be with his dad and develop with his father. We were separated um, very early in our marriage and in my son's life. Um, and he was always an active dad, best dad that he could be. So I would be remiss to not allow my child that the opportunity to live with him. He's established. He owns property, drives a couple cars. And, you know, I'm in the South Bronx. Um you know, and it and it just it wasn't it didn't make sense to me. And, you know, against a lot of people's uh, advice. Oh, you're going to let this boy live with this man. No, I'm going to let him live with his father because he has an opportunity to bond with him and grow as a person outside of New York City. And it's going to add to him being well-rounded and um, just being a cool, a cooler kid. Um, so, I mean, that was one of the biggest steps that I took to step into you know, I guess the super mom role, I, you know, I don't, I don't think of it as that. I'm just really trying to figure my way out. Um, you know, I, I was introduced to Rabia a few weeks ago and I just was like, I am nowhere near there. And I, um, I also watched another podcast that she was a part of, and it was supposed to be like a um, mom founder, mompreneur thing. And I, and it almost, it, it was making me like, Oh my gosh, I have so much work to do. But um, you know, you have to step back and realize every step you take is this, is a big thing. Um, you know, it's a, it's worthy of a celebration. So um just just owning the steps and and appreciating my own journey and not comparing um gives me like superpowers, it so to speak. You I, I don't I don't think they're superpowers, but it just gives it's empowering and it's growth worthy when you can give yourself credit and, and perspective. So I'm, I'm still on the journey. I, like I decided to move to Georgia to be closer to my son and um, started my LLC so that I have um, more than one stream of income. I've done so many different jobs just to try to figure out what is going to work. And, you know, my, my kid is watching. I'm, I'm watching. I have to do it for me. I have to do it for him. So it's a journey. I'm, I'm stepping into the super superpowers and accepting that that that's what the my potential in that and hello to everybody in the chat i can't comment <laughs> hi guys well candy i have to add something really quickly i met your son i think two or three weeks ago oh yes you did he is amazing thank you and thank you. you talk about superpowers you have raised 
an amazing son. Thank Even you. my husband, I caught them having a conversation. They, your, your son was just asking him questions about life and entrepreneurship and yeah. He's just like an old soul. And Absolutely. so I just want you to, I, I'm, he's amazing. So thank you. Thank <laughs> you. I forgot you guys met at the barbecue that I, yeah. I wasn't, Oh, thank you. That means he so much. Amazing. That's I said, if my three year old is anything like him <laughs> when he's a teen, then, you know, I'm betting on that. Thank he's you. Amazing. Yeah. It was tough letting him go, honestly, because yeah. he was like, I just said my trump card, I, you know, with all my struggles and, you know, me trying to get stable, I'd be able to take him someplace and just let him go. And people would be like, wow, look at that. Look at that young man. So that was even a thing to let him go and then yeah. have to stand in my own humanness. Like I had to be a human being, you know, you're, you're, you're a mom first, but when your kid doesn't live with you, it's you, you know, I'm single. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm here, you know, by myself. And it's like, who am I as a person separate from his mom? But I that that I'm trying to balance a fine job with him. Him. But thank you. Thank you. That means so much. Shout out to yeah. Omar. <laughs> um, I think I I struggle between work mom. I can't give up work. Like I feel like if I give up work, I'm there support. And if I give that up, then where's the support going to come from? Because I don't know how to allow someone else to take that role as far as when it comes to my babies. You know, you have a line and you have a line, have their cubs. I'm, I'm, I'm hovering over those kids. So I'm still trying to find a balance in between working mom and like regular mom. It's a struggle every day because I'm super, super busy. So I don't care if I got an hour or 30 minutes to give them. I'm gonna try to give them something within that day. So it also causes a lot of mental stress on you too because I went through postpartum with it, with been struggling with my kids. So, and a lot of women don't realize when they're going through it because you feel like, oh, I'm fine. I'm just going through the motions and you're not fine. You really don't know until you're, you're breaking down and you have an issue and you like, where's all this coming from? And then you realize later, all this coming up from built up stress that you had, that you held in, that you didn't talk about, that you dealt with, that you covered up. As women, I feel like we cover up a lot of stuff. We don't directly deal with the things that are in front of us sometimes. And we kind of make it to where everything else, everybody else around us is okay. And we kind of suffer in silence. And that's the thing is women that we do every single day. And especially as a mom, there's those things we do on a daily basis. Think sometimes we don't have the strength to get up in the morning and break, make breakfast. We don't have the strength to get up and look pretty today. It's just not in us today. But those things are sometimes required or we have to give the extra effort to our children, even when we don't have nothing else to give to ourselves. So working and being a mom is a hard thing to, to swallow at one time. It's, it's, it's something to the point to where sometimes I break down and I cry. I have my days where I'm super strong and I have my days where I'm super weak. But each day I get up and fight that fight for my kids, regardless of what the outcome is. Yeah. So I think all women, you know, go through their own things. It's just all about how you come out on the other side. Yes, I, um, for me, um, wow, I, I want to echo something that Candy shared is that, you know, I'm, I'm on this adventure really and i have to call it that because um you know my children are the only children that i have so i only know uh mamahood in triplicate right and um 
I guess my secret sauce is transparency. Mm. Um, you know, I come from a culture, so I'm um, I'm Afro Latina. My father was born in Brooklyn. My mother was born in Aruba, and my mother's mother and grandmother were born in the Dominican Republic. And so, oh, you know, many things. It's like don't put your business out in the street. It's you know, um, you know, it's um, crying is a sign of weakness. And um, essentially, like, if we don't talk about it, we, you know, it, it, we don't have to deal with it, right? Mm -hmm. And so I'm really, you know, I, I love quoting a, a, a lyric. And so I'm very much, you know, Biggie style, kicking in the door, waving the four four. Like, I'm going to talk about my feelings. Mm -hmm. I'm like, let's all cry out together. Like, you need a soothing stool. You need a minute. What you need? Let me tell you what I need. Because I'm not about perpetuating this dysfunction. And if mama needs ain't being met, guess who else needs ain't being met? Absolutely. And so I'm really like, that's kind of how my approach has been. You know, it's very much like mommy needs, mommy is available to mommy only right now. And I'm going to let y'all rock out and please learn from my example, like articulate when you need your time because like we're not always meant to always be together in every single moment. And um, and it actually, it was a challenge for me to get to that place, right? I definitely experienced postpartum depression. I had no idea that that's what I was actually experiencing, like to the extent that I was actually having um, you know, I was calling them mini meltdowns because I have a, a, a an affinity for a play on words. And my therapist was like, yeah, no, you're having anxiety and panic attacks. And I was like, oh, is that what's happening? Mm -hmm. um, because I was actually not only like, I was displaced <laughs> during my pregnancy. Like, so I literally went through like a major trauma um, on top of like, uh, pregnancy and um, having an emergency C-section of not one, but three children, right? And so I think a lot of people don't realize that uh, giving birth is traumatic to one's body, right? And, um, you know, there's data that, that states it. And so ha experiencing all of that, like simultaneously, um, I, only by the grace of God am I here and in my right mind to even talk about any of these things. Um, so yeah, for me, it's really about tapping into my voice and being honest and transparent about what I'm, what I'm experiencing, what I'm feeling and kind of articulating and, um, part and packaging that for, um, you know, understanding that within myself, sharing that with my with my husband as well as my children, right? And really modeling and demonstrating that this this is our relationship, and we have to have a safe space where we can talk about what we're experiencing, what we're feeling, and what we need, right? Like in those moments, and sometimes it's quiet moments by oneself or you know, just apart from the collective to kind of refuel, restore, and um, get back to one center is what's necessary. So, um, 
so yeah that's that's what i'm doing and um can i just say nia um being honest with the children is such a big part, right? I think our parents used to hide everything from us. So when they were struggling or whatever the case is, my son, I mean, he doesn't know everything, but I talk to him like he's mature. And I think that's, that's a part, they feel respected when they know what's up, you know, the older they get, the more you can divulge, but it's like telling them like, I'm not okay. So, you know, that's, that's what it is, you know, or, or this is like this because of this. I think they feel so much more a part of you and and your experience ups and downs. You know, my son is just always so supportive. You know, when I when I started going to therapy or telling him that I was looking for a therapist and I got one, he's like, "How was therapy today?" Or you know, "Are you getting what you need from therapy?" I'm like, first of all, who is this child of mine?" You know, but it's it's so. I think they feel so much more seen when you include them in your ups and downs, you know? So I just wanted to like kind of double tap on you saying like being honest with your kids. I mean, your husband as well, but the kids, I think it makes such a difference when you're honest. Cause I feel, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with so much because of what my parents didn't share with me, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I think my, my way is, is, is more of a, you know, accelerated or, or up-to-date approach. And, and I, I see you on that. So just wanted to say that. What I like. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I mean, I think that what we're doing is, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Ashley. Oh, that's cool. You go ahead. Um, I think that, you know, with each generation, right, like evolution and progress um, is, is transpiring, right? And so I think that, um, you know, we're one generation removed from the, their, um, their trauma experience, yeah. right? And so yeah. the, the resources, the tools that are available to us, uh, empower and equip us to be able to bring forth um, a number of the different things that we're doing, right? And I would imagine, I'll speak for myself, that, you know, it's my hope that in a number of the different things that I'm modeling um, for, for my love joys that, you know, for the next generation, after them, they will, um, you know, live their lives with one layer less or however many layers less of trauma so that whatever the evolution of what we're doing right now, they can bring it forth, um, you know, for their children, their families, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, agree. Absolutely agreed. I think as I was listening to you guys, um, to you ladies' response, um, one of the things that I see that's common is that you had a good support system or at some point in time, you either developed a support system, you reached out to a support system or some way you found support. Um, what do you think um, is a barrier for most mothers from being supported the way that they need to be? And I'll put the question on the bottom just in case. I don't know. I would think that sometimes it's hard to ask for help sometimes when you really need it. Like just honesty, it's just, it's hard to ask for that help. Sometimes a lot of women are breaking down in the inside and they don't say anything and they just deal with it and go because I think in our nature, we're used to just, like I said earlier, suffering in silence and dealing with everything that comes at us and continuing to move on no matter what the struggle is. 
So I think the biggest barrier for most mothers being supported with it, what they need is when they don't speak out, like they don't, they don't say I need help or I need someone to look after me right now or help me or nurture me. Cause at this point I'm so busy nurturing everybody else. I don't have anything to give myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, that would be my response. And it's interesting because that's the first thing I thought about and what, what I've realized by my own experiences and talking to other moms a lot of not being able to help ask for help is fueled by like the ego, right? Because the ego tells us that we're too good. The ego tells us we're not good enough. The ego says they're going to laugh at you. They're going to shame you. So the ego is like, it's almost like torture, right? Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. your heart says is crying. Your heart is crying for help, support, love, whatever you need. But there's this this barrier um, that is is preventing you from going and asking for what you need, um, yeah. and then it's just so much shame around asking for what you need. Um, so I think it's two parts. It's like I said, it's the ego, and it's all these messages that's telling us you're not a good mom. You work too much, or you mm-hmm. don't work enough, and then you have you want to breastfeed, but your baby won't lash, and you give them, you know. Um, formula and then someone's telling you a bad mom for that and then again it just creates this barrier of you not wanting to expose yourself and tell people you know what your desires are your wants and needs um and that's hard that's a hard thing to break because then that turns into guilt right so it's this ongoing cycle of ego guilt ego guilt and then we're we're crying ourselves to sleep at night um by ourselves um, and not knowing where to turn. Um, and then when that happens, even when people are in front of you saying, what do you need? There's so much fear around ask, asking um, because you don't want to be judged. Um, so, you know, we have to do our part and making sure that we create an environment where mothers feel nurtured and supportive and just saying, I'm here when you're ready. Um, and then when they are ready and when we're ready, um, you know, being an asset and sharing tools, resources, thoughts, ideas, or sometimes just a hug and say, you'll be okay. Um, So, yeah, I think like, you know, like we've been saying is, you know, being transparent is probably like the common theme around getting what you need and feeling supported. I think I want to add on to, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I would like to add on to what Rabia said. I think that uh, yes, it's ego. I think um, and 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 you know, kind of all the branches that come from that. And I think the other piece, you know, like Malcolm X said, right? Like even my conditioning is conditioned, right? And so the the muscle, like particularly as women, right? Like and coming from the generation of parents that we had our voice muscle was not necessarily strengthened in the way that it's required in the time that we're living right now right um and i don't even know if theirs was 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 uh was developed or fostered in the way that it should have been then right so that they were able to do that for us right and i think that um in addition to the ego piece um another big part of that is around developing the ability to identify what you need right because i mean people could say what do you need all day but if you don't know the answer yeah. and then 
you know, now you add in ego to the equation, mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, society and ourselves and so many other people would, you know, um, you know, impose expectation would say yeah. that, you know, we're supposed to have all these answers. Mm -hmm. And really, it's like, well, why are we supposed to have all these answers, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like, nobody's looking to, you know, a father to have all these answers. Like, I remember saying to my husband, I was like, yeah, like I need you to understand that Google has way more answers than I do. Like you mm -hmm. might want to, like any one of these devices up in this spot, like Google, like you can speak to it, you can type it, like many things. And um, I think that is some of the work that we need to do, particularly in nurturing women, period, whether we're mothers or not, it's uh, how do we, come together collectively to empower you know what i mean to foster and develop that muscle to say this is my needs list right like and i think the other piece of that is uh, is being you know all the words being strong being powerful being a thought leader being a woman being a superhero right um whatever our needs are and what they've been, they're second nature to us. So we're not really uber intentional about thinking what our needs are because at the drop of a hat, when we have one or have some, we're the person feeling it, right? And our expectation isn't, or our first thought isn't to seek someone outside of ourselves to fill that need for us. So now when someone comes asking us what we need, we're not necessarily equipped to answer, right? So it's like that requires some work, right? Like, and that's a need like in your personal life, yeah. in your business or your professional life, in your mamahood journey, like so many different spaces because what the needs are at any given moment could be also very mm -hmm. different or they could be the very same, but but variants of one another depending on the space in which the need is most at the moment yeah i think you guys have said similar things but i'm gonna go back to me personally what's tough for me how, like what what's the the barrier for me is seeing how successful other people are around me or other women moms wives and knowing mm -hmm. that maybe i felt like i felt short so i need to just figure it out on my end because they're they they're um projecting a level of success and maybe you know they're having their own struggle but their packaging looks a way like where it's all good so i'm like okay well i gotta figure it out too and not you know not knowing if they're asking for help they may be comfortable asking for help um another thing that's a barrier for me is maybe having had asked someone and not mm -hmm. getting the help so it's like well you know what that was the person I was comfortable asking. So now I must not suppose I'm I'm must not supposed to have the help. I'm I'm probably supposed to figure it out since this person didn't do it. Or, you know, no one's coming to me and just kind of giving me what they think I need. Mm -hmm. Bye. I think we all had some good answers on that one. That we touched all perspectives on that one. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Um, so Rabia actually 
took that step and she actually built a community where um, people can, where other women can get support and things of that nature. But I wanted to ask, um, so I started off with the last question about assuming um, that you guys, that you ladies had support systems. I wanted to follow up backwards and ask, what do your support systems look like? Or at what point did you figure out how your support system could work with you? Yeah, like I didn't have a support system. I had to create my own. Um, part of my support system is paid staff. <laughs> That's, you know what I mean? Um, what made it even more difficult for me in nurturing the support. I mean, I moved from New Jersey where my entire family lives and where I'm from, moved to a new state and just starting and starting anew. Luckily I had some friends here, but they all are moms and they have families and responsibilities. Um, so I had to hire babysitters and, you know, childcare providers to kind of be my support. Um, you know, my mom, she'll come to town maybe once every few months, um, but that's three days <laughs> a quarter, you know what I mean? Um, and I'm okay with that um, until I nurture relationships where, you know, we can swap kids or I can drop my kids off and you can, you know, drop your kids off. But I didn't always have that. But believe it or not, even when I was in New Jersey, I didn't have that. Um, and Candy, you said something about like the packaging. I'm the queen of packaging. I yes, you are. Clearly. <laughs> but the struggle <laughs> is real. You know, our yeah. you know, my motto is, you know, the grind is real. Life is yeah. real. Um, yeah. But the good thing about me that I pride myself on is that I have no problem asking because I don't fear rejection because rejection mm -hmm. just means a definite no. And I'm good with that. That means it's time for me yeah. to move on. Yeah. Um, and ask somebody else until I get the answers that I that I want. But even in the rejection, which is interesting, is that you may get what you need and then learn that's not what you needed, you right. know? And, and you said that you asked someone and they disappointed you or they said no, um, and that's okay. But then that just opens the door for fresh relationships. Yes, and, absolutely. And a new village and, and new uh, friendships. Um, yeah. So I had to, I, my village is <laughs> paid for until I further see. notice. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a blessing to be in a position to curate or create your village, you know, even yeah. if it is paid. Um, my support um, and my real support came from people understanding that I wasn't going to ask because yeah. of the level of like, it's not even humbleness. It's like the pride is, it really is the pride or, or, you know, not wanting to burden other people. So my best friend who's in the chat and my son's godmother, my aunt who's in the chat. Um, and she's like, just, she's just constantly, how can I help you? What do you need? Or, you know, cause sometimes you don't want to ask people. I mean, sometimes it's money, you know, and I'm, I'm in this position where I feel like I'm a certain age. I should, I shouldn't, I should figure out how to support myself financially, but sometimes, you know, the ends don't meet and, you know, for someone to kind of understand you or you be comfortable enough to explain that at least once or twice to them and then they get it. And then, you know, it might be a handshake with a bill in it that'll help you out. Like 
because you're you you have this level of pride um, or a friend giving, you know, helping you move to another state so you can live closer to your son and have a quality of life that you've been working so hard to get, but you're trying to connect these dots that may not be connecting on your own. So sometimes support is people stepping up um, because you're, you're so beaten down from asking, you know, so that, that, I think that's my story really. And um, people reassuring me that it's okay to come to me. You know, it doesn't have to be in words. You can text me or you can just come over or, you know, you can live with me, you know, and, and, and that has been my confidence booster. Like, okay, I am worthy of this. You know, you go to therapy and you, you make sure your therapist is a mom or can relate and is juggling and, can understand, um, you know, your battles and can relate and let you know, guess what? I'm your therapist, but I go through that too. So you don't have to, it doesn't have to be a thing that you're self-conscious about. So definitely it, it took people to step up into my space for me to build myself up to feel like I could ask for help. And thank y'all, thank y'all. I love y'all, thank y'all. Just always thanking them. Offer you things that you feel like you can never pay back. So I'm just always living in gratefulness for for those people. And then sometimes those people uh, anticipate your needs, right? There was yes. a year where I wasn't working, and you know, thank God for my husband and his support and him holding down the fort. Um, but I had a friend who gifted me with therapy because she mm. knew I needed it. Mm. I didn't ask for it, but she knew I needed it and she paid for it. Um, and, and so sometimes, yeah. you, you know, Nia, you said something great. Sometimes we can't even articulate what our needs are. Um, right. But if we can be that support for someone and anticipate what they may need, they may say, no, sorry, I don't need it. You know, mm-hmm. I just had a mom that I saw that she may could benefit from some mental health support. She rejected it. You know, so that also happens. Um, yeah. But that's all. It's always great to, you know, have people around you that aren't afraid to say, I know you don't know, but right. let's take a shot at it. Or I know you're not going to ask so because I see you like and I know kid. what you need. So yeah. let me gift you. Like like you said, gift. let me gift you um, yeah. because you're doing your best, you know, yeah. and you're working with what you have. Yeah. The gift. Yeah. Um, as a mom, what generates guilt for you guys? I don't want to go first. I know for me, working generates guilt for me. It generates a lot of guilt because I am so busy. Like all, like I'm busy all this weekend. I'm off for my day job, but I still have real estate on the weekends. So I have to make like today, even after our podcast today. If I have to go see an 8.30 showing at the movie theaters and open my eyes for another two and a half hours, that's just what I have to do to make that time because I'm so busy all the time. And then tomorrow night, I got to squeeze in time to go celebrate one of my husband's friend's birthday. So even though I have an open house all day and I got other showings all day, I still have to make that time to where everybody is a part of my life at all times. So I suffer with a lot of guilt from the way I work. But I have I had someone ask me a serious question 
And the question was, what are you willing to sacrifice to be successful? And I said, my sacrifice stops once I lose my husband and children, because then I have nothing else to sacrifice for. So that was that was it for me. So as a mom, I that that's my struggle. Mike Gill, um, as much as a blessing that I mentioned, my son living with his dad, my son living with his dad, you know, as a mother, you're, you want a mother. So the fact that I can't do it on a daily basis, I carry a lot of sadness. Um, you know, I, I know the bigger picture, you know, he's having this opportunity to be in a, you know, in a suburb and, and have space and all these things, but it's still, it's still something I carry. Like my marriage didn't work or I'd be in this, you know, we'd be doing it together. Um, but then I always have to say, well, his dad is married. So you're still gifting him a home, a, you, you know, a family unit. Um, but, but that's my guilt. My son not living with me is tough. It, it's been three years and, I got to move. So I don't feel as bad. You know, I need, I need to be closer. I, I still haven't grasped like, it's okay. It's okay. And everybody says, Oh, it's okay. You see him in the summer. Y'all hang out, blah, blah, blah. Even me moving now, he's down in Georgia and I'm here. I'm apart from him for three weeks and this is supposed to be our summer and he's fine. He's, you know, at basically he's, he's fine. He's fine. It, it's me. You know, so that that's my struggle, like knowing he's good, but also it's like, but it could be this or or it was supposed to be this thing and it's not. So. I think for me, where the guilt comes in is. Is when I'm reactionary to things as opposed to responsive. Right. So uh, one of my children, Noah, shared with me. Um, I think a week or two ago, but recently that he's like, mommy, you yell a lot. Right. And I was like, okay. Right. And even that like takes some, you know, and I was like, listen, again, with the transparency, I was like, okay, I received that. You know, I hear you. Thank you for sharing your feedback. And then we had a conversation. We talked through that. And I was like, okay, so let's talk about when mommy yells, like what's happening right? Like, I'm like, am I just waking up in the morning out the gate yelling? Like what? Because for me, um, you know, society would have us believe that, you know, we as women, we as mothers are supposed to be these perfect beings and we're supposed to have it all together. We're supposed to make the right decision all the time. We're supposed to be our best even when, you know, our feelings are being hurt or we feel like we're being disrespected, right? Like, it's like, oh, well, only children have big feelings. And it's like, yeah, but no. But it's like, we all have these big feelings and it's, and yes, we, um, you know, in more times than not, we should be modeling um, uh, ways in which uh, we respond as opposed to we react, right? And so I think for me, that's, um, you know, the, the, the place where the guilt comes. Um, I think early on when um, my children were born almost a trimester early and were in the NICU, so I had to quickly 
figure out how I was going to, um, you know, manage my emotions and feelings around time, right? And what that in terms of I get to spend this amount of time with each of my children, right? Because, um, you know, as Candy was pointing out, kind of comparing myself to other mothers, seeing mothers in the NICU that had one baby and that could spend all these hours with their one child. I'm like, well, I'm over here pumping for three. The alarm is going off. I got to clean all the equipment and spend time with each baby. And so it was like, you know, early on, I kind of had to say, all right, well, as much as I don't love this, but each of you gets 20 minutes, then I got to pump, then I got to, and so I'm still kind of on a similar cadence, right? Like, okay, well, what's your main moment going to be? And trying to carve out that time um, with each of them, right? So now that I'm kind of past that and have figured out a way to manage that, if that's like, oh, mommy, can you sit in the back? them with me while I take my shower and we talk or mommy can you know let's sit in the kitchen while you're preparing a meal and we talk or you know whatever the scenario may be is um you know and we talk about how they're feeling about different things but I guess you know again it's about um it's really that right because I try my best to not physically discipline my children um, and be very intentional about talking things through with them because in my mind I'm like it's a challenge it's a challenge for me to say to my children keep their hands to themselves and I'm not doing that right so um and yeah i mean i know you know there's nuances around that there's you know the jury's out on you know what's right versus what it should be and so on and so forth but um that's um so to my point is is that my my guilt is it comes with the um you know with the yelling piece because i'm also clear that you know what i mean like there's something called verbal abuse right and yelling doesn't feel good and I know I don't like it when somebody yells at me. So that's one of my areas of improvement or opportunity in uh, in my mamahood adventure. Yeah. Guilt from me, I never forget. Um, my daughter was two years old and in daycare and they sent a, like a little flyer or something that said there was gonna be a mommy daughter tea. Um, at school or at daycare. And I, I brushed it off because again, remember that I love to work. So I was, she would be dropped off at like 7.30 in the morning, the first kid there and the last kid to be picked up. But for whatever reason, I didn't know that this mother-daughter tea was like a thing, right? I thought you pick your kid up, you get some tea, they have some cookies at the front desk and then you go home. Um, I get there thinking I'm getting there early at six o'clock and the classroom lights were off and she was the only one there. And I'm like, what is, where is everybody? To find out that the mother-daughter tea was an actual event. And I was the only mom that wasn't there um, at her first school event. And um, a mom texts me that night and she said, 
Skylar, she kept going to the door, hoping that it was you. And she said, I hugged her and I told her, mommy's coming, but she's like, you never came. And when I talk about guilt, I feel like guilt is like torture. It is like torture because that was the event that changed my entire life. I literally changed my entire lifestyle because I said, I will never miss another anything ever again. Um, literally changed my job <laughs> to be closer to my kids, ch changed everything. And, you know, seven years later, I haven't missed a thing, but there's so much anxiety around missing an event that I didn't even know that I hadn't healed from that one situation. Um, yeah, so there's this guilt for me about not being present, not being available. And I think, not that I think, I know that my mom worked a lot too. So she came to nothing. Um, the first thing she came to was my wedding, <laughs> you know, when I was 28 years old. Um, so I think consciously now that I have better understanding and lots of therapy, understanding that that was a trigger for me and being present. Um, and even like yesterday, I went to the salon and I'm always home for um, a prayer and bedtime. And I got out of there late and the kids are calling me like, mommy, you're not here. And that anxiety, that it still builds up in me and not being present. Um, so that's something that's always going to be a work in progress because, you know, they're going to get older. I'm getting older. Everyone's growing and learning and having their own friends and lives. And I'm not always going to be present. Um, so I need to get a handle on that and what that looks like if that day ever comes. Mm -hmm. Or when that day comes. When, when, when that day comes. I'm gonna miss something, but I do my best not to. I do too. I, yeah. Sometimes I pack a laptop and I'm like working. I'm here. I had my I'm laptop here. at the dance recital like in, in, in April, you know, I had to get up, but I'm not missing it. So if, I, if it's in my power, I'm gonna be yeah, there. Me too. I feel the same. I think uh one of our uh, watchers actually had a great question and I thought this was really good. It's off topic. I mean, it's not off topic, but it's not on our list, but she asked, do you feel more pressure to be perfect as a black woman? I'm going to really say no. Question. That's a really good question. I'm, 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 I'm really not seeking perfection, but there is a level of accomplishment I'm looking mm -hmm. for. And it may, I don't, I don't think it's perfection, but it is like being established. That's a big thing for me. I always say that I'm trying to plant roots. I'm trying to plant roots. Um, so I don't want to be perfect, but there is a level of accomplishment. I feel like I deserve and my child deserves to see his mom get to. Um, he is my biggest fan. I mean, I clearly we're in a mom show, so I can talk about him, but I talk about him all the time. But um, he is my biggest fan. And he's just he's just proud of where I am and what I've attempted to achieve or what I have done. Um, I've had, uh, I wore, I mean, I've had several occupations, careers, so to speak. And um, he was proud of every, every one of them. When I did construction, he was so proud of me. When I worked for myself, you know, cleaning houses and organizing people's closets and, and laying down tiles for people, he was just like, oh, let me see the before and after, or, you know, very encouraging. So just want, wanting to keep him um, understanding that you can do whatever you want to do. Um, and I'm, I'm really hard on my kid. I, I admit it. Um, as much as I 
cater or baby him, so to speak, when I'm around him. I'm tough on him because his, you see their potential when they don't and, and vice versa. Honestly, he sees my potential when I don't. So it's, it's a give and take with that. And I really just try to, you know, breathe life into him. Like you can literally do anything. Don't have no babies, do anything, you know, go to the army, be a doctor, be a psychologist, be a paleontologist, like all the things you think you can be in your head. There is a path to getting there. So, um, yeah. Yeah need to say that i don't feel the pressure to be perfect but i do feel the pressure to leave my kids something because there's a lot of things i wasn't taught growing up i wasn't taught credit growing up i wasn't taught how to manage my finances growing up it's, it's not more so of being perfect it's just life lessons that i wasn't taught that i had to get out there and learn as a young teen and i don't want them to make the same mistakes however i do feel life lessons are the best teachers but I want them to at least have some kind of knowledge of what they're going through. So, or what they will experience in their lifetime. So I don't, I wouldn't say perfect, but I would want them to experience things that I didn't, I wasn't taught. I need to teach my kids about finances because finances rotate this world, whether people choose to agree, to, uh, agree with it or not, credit is king. A lot of people don't know how to budget credit, budget credit cards. How does we 18, we get credit cards, we max it out. We think that's what it's supposed to do as, as kids. And then we become in our 20s and we like, oh, we want a, a car loan. We want a home loan. It's like, well, you got all this debt. So it's like, my, I want my children to be aware of debt. I want my children to be aware. And that could come from the fact that I have an accounting degree. So I kind of think that way now at, at 35. And I wasn't thinking that way at 18. So when my son graduates, I have a 15-year-old. So when he graduates when he's 18, I want him to be financially stable credit-wise as far as him, me teaching him only to use less than 30% of his credit card or anything, managing a, a bank account, anything that I can teach my son for the real world because I'm not promising him always. So I want to be able to prepare my kids that way. And it's not a shortcut, right? It's like kind of like a cheat code like it's listen code. I did, you don't you don't you don't want to go yes. this way you don't want to don't, don't max the credit card out right your second week in college and never and, pay, yes. no, and, and not pay it and don't not pay that. it right because i know you're tired of eating roman noodles i was tired of eating roman noodles but hey i can't eat cheddars and chilies every day i had to understand there is a financial budget and hey if there is something that i want i need to work for it Everything is not going to lay on my lap and be given to me. I have to work yeah. for the things that I want. I think this generation lacks the ability to understand working for what you want. I think they feel entitled. And I'm trying to get my kids out of entitlement because you're not entitled to receive the things that I provide for you. I provide them to you because I'm your mom and I feel like you deserve them sometimes. However, I do give the extra hand with this spoiling as mothers we all do because we nurture. But I feel like the, the, the sense of entitlement is what bothers me with this generation, the lack of wanting to work for what you need. So, yeah. I think for me, it's, um, I think it's, yeah, it's definitely not perfection. I think that, you know, I strive to execute many things with a level of excellence. Um, you know, as a black woman, I mean, that's who I am. That's all I know. So I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know how to do uh, any other version of a woman. Um, and you know, I think yes, definitely. I again back to modeling different things for our children, right? Um, there were things that my parents taught me about. Um, 
about money management. Um, and then I actually went to college for finance. And actually, you know, Tiffany, the budget nista Aliche, like I remember listening to a number of, um, I guess, either, you know, her webinars. And I know she's, you know, very openly shared about, you know, how her father um, taught her and her siblings about, um, you know, about like bills. And I told my children most recently, I said, listen, this summer, we about to learn about you all are going to learn about the value of the dollar. And I really used her example. I said, listen, I'm printing out you know, our utility bills, you will see, you know, June's bill for the water and July's bill for the water and for Con Ed, because that's every time you turn on a light or you plug in your iPad, that's who we're paying for that energy. And then we're also going to print out National Grid because when you turn the water on, when you turn the hot water on, it's that gas that's, you know, making it get hot. And so I'm like, listen, if July's bill is higher than June's bill, the difference, right, is what's coming out your pizza budget, your ice cream budget, your vacation. Mm -hmm. And then to add on one more time, because, you know, my children are like, oh, we think that our thing's supposed to live in the lost and found. And I was like, listen here, your mama does the initial purchase. I do not do repeat purchases. So if you lose it, then you have to pay for it. So listen, I got babies paying for they swanky, like they know name brand water bottles. They're like, ooh, is that a Yeti? I'm like, no, girl, it's a hydro flask. <laughs> and give me your dough for the hydro flask that you left in the sound yeah. if you want another one for the upcoming school year. Because that's how it works. Like, I can't pay for pizza and all things, and you know, left the branded water vessel at the school. Like, and somebody else is chilling with it. You know, big ups to them for like, oh, this is what it is. But I'm like, but now you gotta pay for it. So. Mm -hmm. This is um the part of like the lessons, right? And yes, here's to all these other lessons about using thirty percent or less of your credit limit on you know what the the banks are giving you, right? Because that debt to equity ratio is real, um, particularly when you want to take on the good assets, right? <laughs> because you know there is a difference between the good ones and the not so good ones. Absolutely. I think, um, again, a common theme that I'm hearing is some of the ways that you like to show up as a parent is to save your child the less, some of the lessons that you have learned. I did want to um, bring us to the next question, which was, uh, oh, let me take Jackie off. Thank you for watching, Jackie. Thank you for your comment. Um, are there things that you've decided not to pass down or participate in with your children um, other than teaching them about finances? There are so many things. Every time I feel like I turn on the news or look at social media, there's a different argument going on. Are there different um, either traditions or new things that you've started with your children that you, uh, you decided not to pass down from the previous generation? I think um, what I did when I listening, listening to your children, giving them a voice or a platform to express their concerns and feelings, because when I was growing up, we weren't allowed to express. If we expressed, it was considered talking back. 
So listening to my children in a respectful manner, because no, you can't you can't just voice or yell at me like you want to. However, you can voice to me your concerns and how you feel. For example, my my kid like a little daddy little the little mini cupcakes. So I used to buy them all the time for my 11 year old. And then my daughter, which is six, she loved them. So I stopped buying his favorite flavor and just started buying hers. And he was mm-hmm. like, mama, you really just stopped taking taking the, what I want and buying what I want. You just only start focusing on her. And I was like, I did? He was like, yeah, look, you don't even buy my snacks anymore. And when he showed me the snacks that I wasn't buying for him anymore, had I not been listening to him, I was like, go sit down. We'll talk about this later. And I would have never caught my mistake because as parents, we make mistakes. It's no rule book on how to be a mom. You just go through it every day. So I think listening is a big thing when it comes down to your children and understanding how they feel and being open and transparent with them as well. Yeah. I agree. I was just going to say, you know, like we have one rule in our house, literally one rule. And the rule is that you have to try everything and anything once. Right. So what I try to instill in my son um, and my daughter, particularly my daughter, is that she can do anything and everything. So anything she wants to try, it's a yes. Um, things she doesn't want to try, it's a yes. Like you're going to try the broccoli. You can like it or not, but you're going to try it. Um, and, and what that does for her and for him, what I've seen is that it just fearlessness is just not an option um, for them. You know, you know, we teach them right and wrong or what we perceive as right or wrong. And it's our goal that they go out into the world and practice right more so than than wrong, but I want them to explore everything. You know, I didn't get on a plane until I was 18. That was my first time Mm -hmm. on a plane, you know, I never went on vacations as a child, never did road trips. We didn't do any of that. Um, So that's important for, you know, my children to experience things, not just from my exposure, but from anything that they see that they think is interesting. Um, my daughter's been, she's in dance. She tried gymnastics. She didn't want, she was a slime, slimer for a while too. Yeah. You know, (laughs) I mean, she's had a job as a slime ambassador, you know, it's so I just, that's, that's what it is for me. It's just being fearless and just trying everything. We weren't given that option growing up. It was like, you know, you stay in your safe space of Newark, New Jersey, you know, I could ride my bike from the front of the house to the corner, turn it around and come back. There was no exploration um, growing up. So that's important for me as a grown woman, as well as for my children. Explore, be, be fearless and unapologetic in the things that you want to try and learn. Yeah, I think mine is a combination of Britney's and Rabia's um, exposure, you know, like just letting them do stuff. You know, um, I hike as an adult. I, I always wanted to play in dirt and figure out how to hike. And do, I think that's why I did heavy construction, because I'm like, I want to be in, in the elements and I want to be outside and figure these things out. And um, I think there was a level not sh- I won't say my dad sheltered me, but there was a level of like, this is the things you try and this is the things you do, whereas like my son. I like science. Okay, we'll get you in a science program. Um, come hiking with me. You've never hiked. First hike, five miles. 
did it, loved it, you know? Um, you know, like you said, flying on planes early, exploring. Um, but with uh, Brittany said, giving them a platform to speak. I really try to listen to my son. I do get in my moments where this is back talk. That's back talk. But, you know, in calmer, you know, more ideal times, I'd like to hear him speak and hear his perspective because they do feel respected. I think I said that earlier um, during another uh, discussion, another question. But I think it really makes a difference when you listen to them, when you let them say what they say and and speak on your level or, or you know, have a one-on-one and, you know, they get comfortable and they, you know, feel comfort to 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 be able to express themselves so combination of both definitely exposure and then giving them a platform to speak and and respect them and and, and listen to them for me and i yes i oh, yeah. sorry yeah no i was just gonna say and i don't i'm not i don't think my parents did that for me so that you know that's answering what did, what did you decide not to pass down that i'm the parent you're the kid this is this is respect. It's like no, we are both human. I need to give you that as a human being. You you can have a, an opinion or a platform too. So that that was it. Yeah, I definitely agree um, with um, Brittany, Rabia, and Candy's um, responses. Um, and so the things that I've decided not to pass down. Um, is um is uh is by way of giving them uh agency or greater agency at an earlier age and that power of choice right within a framework within a curated framework right mm -hmm. so i know for me um you know my mother was very particular about what i wore to school like it was like i had to wear skirts or dresses monday through thursday and i could only wear uh pants on fridays and you know because of her upbringing like you know denim was considered for poor people so i couldn't wear it and i've consistently loved denim for as far back i can remember like whenever i had a choice i'm like let me get all the jeans right and i'm still that way um and so um, and then I know my father was very much about like, you know, you can't waste any food and you got to eat everything on your plate. And, you know, I'm my only child. So I was, you know, just at the table, like, are we doing this or are we doing this? Cause I'm not eating it. Like I'm fine. Um, and so really we've made it. Um, so those are like the places where I felt that from a very young age, they could have you know, this is where we could develop and foster agency and the power of choice kind of within like a, a curated framework, like, you know, kind of like A-B testing. Would you like this or would you like that? Right. Because it's like, like, you know, in my in my uh, in my previous life, I was a I was a buyer and costume designer and stylist. So, you know, I, I know a thing or two about selecting clothing that, you know, that works well for an individual. And so, um, and then we make that a whole experience, right? And so now it's like, okay, well, let's look on your device. Like, what do you like from this? But even before I show that to them, like I hit all the favorites and then I'm like, okay, you get to pick from this. So now it's like when, now when it's here, right? You get to pick, so from very early on, I think from like three or four, it was like, okay, let's take your clothes out for tomorrow. 
or even when the clothing arrives, it's like, oh, let's have a fitting. Let's try on all your things. And so that's, you know, so that's kind of how I incorporated like some of my prior work experience into, you know, these individual times and moments with, um, with my children. And so they have agents seeing that. I remember my son Noah at four, he's like, no mommy, I only want dark denim skinny jeans, oh. like super specific. And to this day, like, he's like, that's what I want to rock with. My other son is like, you know, I want the ripped denim. I'm cool. I could do light and medium rings. Like, very specific, you know, and even with the food. So, you know, we're like, okay, what do you like? Their thing now is, what? so if I say, oh, what are we having for dinner? They're like, what are the options? So, so even just being able to have that type of conversation like one of my children is like my favorite is sushi you know i don't think i was talking about sushi at five i don't even know how old i was when i first had sushi but this is so to the point of like experience and exposure right being able to do this with our children and what that means of them being conversant, right? It's like they can ask the questions. Well, what are the options for dinner? What are we having? Or can we have X, Y, and Z, right? Being able to develop that and foster that also is about, um, you know, developing their voice, that voice muscle to lead with the things that they want and ultimately the things that they need or eventually the things that they need voice muscle. I like that. You said that a couple of times, like, yeah, the developing a voice muscle, letting them have that, that space to feel human. I think it's, I keep saying that they make them feel human. Like they're kids, but they're like, they're little people letting them have the option of clothes. I, you know, I, I'll, I'll let Omar, you know, when he was younger within his, within reason, like, okay, this or this. So I, I think that's important. Like they feel like, Oh, I put this together. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, even when we go to the restaurant, something as simple as, you know, you share what you would like to order with the, you know, with the lovely person here that's, you know, that's helping us with this experience. Right? Like, again, it's a, it's about, I feel like as, as early as possible, if we can help them with that voice muscle, I think it is, it's so important, particularly for our children. I, I agree. Um, many women find themselves being single or solo mothers and dealing with the desires of love, heartbreak, and divorce. What sort of advice would you give to a mother fighting through these situations at this time? Just do it. <laughs> I, I'm talking to myself because I'm that person, you know, and, and I've I've always been, you know, and I never felt, you, you know, there's a time where it's like, you don't want your kid around this person. You don't want your kid around that person. But it's like you, you are a person that deserves to have the things that you want separate from being a mother. Right. So I think, I think just making sure that you're mentally well enough to pursue or be pursued and, and just going for it. Um, I'm, I'm off and on, but sometimes I'm like, oh, I want love. I was about to love me. And then I'm like, uh-uh, I'm wearing a long dress. Don't look at me. I'm not ready. So it's like, be, you know, you have to just, you have to just 
do it, you know, be mentally prepared and, you know, have your, your ducks in a row as much as you can or be working towards it and just go for it. That's from experience. I say I went through a divorce too. So I would say, make sure you have healed completely before you bring that toxic behavior into your new relationship. If you do want love after a heartbreak, because sometimes you don't realize the barrier that you bring into your new relationship when you have that situation, when you're doing it, you don't have, you don't know what you have going on or what you're fighting within yourself. So I say heal or try. You know, I'll, I'll add, I haven't um, experienced romantic heartbreak, but I've experienced heartbreak with friendship, right? My best friend committed suicide two years, three years ago. And that was my soulmate. She was my soulmate. She is my soulmate, you know? And from that experience, I didn't know how to nurture relationships and friendships with women that have always been there and existed in my life for many, many years. Um, so my heart was guarded because mm -hmm. I couldn't even fathom another heartbreak in that way. Um, and that was probably the first time I actually had to go to the community that I created and be transparent and be vulnerable and say, you know, I'm hurting and I'm sad and I'm, I'm lonely. Um, and it's still a struggle to this day. Um, so, you know, whether you lose a friendship because of loss or, you know, journeys, you know, you go into different journeys, um, and you're trying to love again. Um, you know, I, I read something today was really interested in saying you can be happy, hurting and healing at the same time. And I was like, wow, that sums up what I'm experiencing now, because I still mourn her loss and a lot of loss from COVID and all of that. Um, but I'm happy and I have joy and I'm healing and I go to therapy and I talk and I share my feelings um, in safe spaces. Um, so the healing, that's that's the that's the foundation. Mm -hmm. That's the key message that through any heartbreak, um, you gotta be healed. But it's a journey. You don't say I'm healed. Woo! Right. It's ongoing. Right. You know, um, and that's okay. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a combination of the things that you all shared. Um, you know, I definitely think it's healing. Um, I definitely think it's also, um, it takes courage and vulnerability to, um, you know, to, to make that decision, right? Um, and I think also that you can, um, you know that you know heartbreak can can happen in, in all different forms right like heartbreak can happen within your marriage right and so i still think that um that requires like the healing and courage and vulnerability right and i think it, it also involves um an element of identifying what it is that you need you know, to heal and be courageous and vulnerable and what that, you know, what that looks like, sounds like and feels like for um, for the person or the parties involved. 
Ashley, you're muted. I knew it was going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to uh, come to our next question, which was going to be, um, so in conversations with each, each of you preparing for this episode, we talked a little bit about a few different things, but overall, what, um, what are some things that you do for self-care and are, do you do it when you need it or is it part of your routine? Hmm, I would have to say therapy is mine. That's mine. Definite self-care. I will run that insurance bill to the ground for therapy. <laughs> because that's that's a safe place where you can truly be honest and say exactly how you feel with no judgment and guidance with how to work through all feelings that you feel or feelings that you didn't even know you felt. They're able to help you maneuver through those. So therapy is definitely a self-care thing that I think I do a lot. And uh, I would have to say, like, even shopping is therapy for me. Finding something new is, is therapy for me because you look, you feel how you look. So you, when you look how you feel, whatever, whichever way it goes. <laughs> but those are things that help you be able to feel good about yourself and give yourself confidence whether you had a bad day, whether, you know, just that day, mommy day, it just wasn't a good day. I'm just sick of these kids today. Like, today, these kids are working my nerves. But tonight you come out looking like Wonder Woman and you feel like I can do this again. Tomorrow's a new day. I can try this again. So I think stuff like that is very beneficial to all women. I feel like when they don't feel their best or they don't feel like they look their best, it, it, it's an added stress for them. And it makes them feel either more insecure or less valuable to themselves. Like they don't, they're not their best self. So I think those things are great self-care things for me. Uh, self-care for me is therapy as well. Um, it is in my routine uh, to speak to someone candidly about, you know, everything. Uh, and it's been so beneficial. I mean, I I don't think I've ever was a person that was like, oh, I don't need therapy. It was just about me being courageous enough to follow through and find somebody and lean on them because they're paid to do, you know, that that's what they're supposed to do. Um, so therapy is a big thing for me. Um, I mentioned I used to do construction, so my hands used to look crazy. So I must have a like I must have a manicure. I don't care if I'm sitting in the house um, and a very simple one. Like there's no color, there's no pizzazz. They're very short, but my nails have to be. They make me feel so good. They they make me feel so good. Um, that is a, a routine also, and um, telling people no is self-care for me. So I um, used to go out a lot in my 20s and I realized I was going out, but I was ner like, it was a nerve wracking thing for me. I didn't really like wearing five inch heels and little skirts and put, be, like it, it was because my crowd was doing that. That was our, that was our scene. We, you know, we go out four days a week and sleep in the day that I, you know, as I got older, I'm like, I don't want to go out. I actually don't like crowds. And I don't think it was a COVID thing. I don't like crowds. I, it needs to, I need to be at a, if it's a crowd, it's a jazz fest and we're spread out. Um, but I don't like clubs. I don't like, you know, you know, all the girls, we getting cute. We doing this. Like, that's not my thing. I love being home. And, you know, I had to get comfortable telling people that that makes me uncomfortable. So staying home um, and putting on a projection screen and, and playing 
a soundtrack and dancing in my living room. That's more my club scene and my self-care because I do like to dance. I just don't want to do it. And then the potential of somebody grinding up on me and being all like, no, no, I want to be home and dance. So saying no, saying no to things that are fun to other people, but may not be to me. Um, that's, that's, and that's what I, I try. I really try to stand, stand in that. Um, so yeah, those are, those are my main things. Those are my main things. Yeah. No is the big one for me. Like I do a lot of weaning of people, situations, environments that do not serve me, right? So if there's something or someone in my environment that is just not vibing with me, it has to go. And I don't explain myself. It's just, <laughs> it's just no, you know, no is a complete sentence. Um, so that is important for me to really tap into my instinct and what my heart and my gut is telling me and saying no to that. And sometimes we don't know the why behind it. Um, but my discernment is, is, is good. <laughs> um, and sometimes I miss the mark, but I have to lean into that um, and create spaces that are just where there's joy and where there's love and when there's hope and where there's optimism like I need that constantly because um, I might not get it in the world, but if I can nurture it for myself, I'm going to create that. Yeah, therapy is my self-care. I have a standing appointment weekly and um, and I think quiet time, you know, um, I'm an only child. And, um, you know, we have a, a intergenerational uh, living situation right now where, you know, both my parents are with us and, you know, myself, my husband, my children. So there are a lot of people and uh, that's a lot of energy um, day in and day out. And it's a lot of people that require energy from me. <laughs> so, um you know, being able to um, have that quiet time for myself uh, is is, inc is critical. It's, it's really imperative for me to um, kind of refuel and restore. And um, sometimes that looks like I'm taking a nap in the middle of the day because I'm like, I, I don't listen to a lot of people talk to me and download on me about all the things that they needed to download about, or, you know, or I cared for, you know, six people. Like, I remember telling my therapist, I was like, homie, I'm the emergency contact person for six people. Like, let's talk about that, okay? So my, um, my self-imposed timeouts for my quiet time is, um, is necessary for me in terms of self-care and I have to say a lengthy uninterrupted shower is definitely my self-care like I mean you know no one knocking on the door or busting in or all the things like it's ooh, you know talk about happy happy joy joy like that is you know now getting all three on the same day man listen <laughs> Good times was not only a show. 
<laughs> Again, sorry, y'all. Um, it's been so awesome talking with um talking with each of y'all, hearing different um uh, things about your story, um, your mental wellness. Um, one question that I like to ask um on this series as we close out is um each of you are at different stages of motherhood. Um, what is one thing that you wish you knew at an earlier stage of parenting that would have improved your mental wellness had you known then? Whether it was like a newborn baby, your I guess teen or whatever stage. I'll go. I think um at this stage I wish or I guess what I wish I knew then was to self prioritize. Because if you know, I can't pour from what someone shared this with me at one point, right? I can't pour from a cup that's empty, right? And so I think about the times when, um, you know, to what I shared before about my son saying that I yell a lot. Like, if I think about the times that I yell, it's it's those moments or times when my cup hasn't been refueled or replenished or restored. Right. And so being able to show up as my best self or as my healthiest self um, requires me to um, requires me to do the things that we talked about um, in the self-care question. So um, so now I'm at the stage where I'm prioritizing myself like, you know, I have done the work so that my children have more agency and are a little bit more independent. So if that means that, you know, I'm sleeping a little bit more in the morning, then that's what that means because, and again, we, I'm transparent about that. I'm like, your bedtime is eight o'clock. Mommy may not go to sleep until 11 or 12 because I'm working and doing some other things that are necessary for uh, myself, my business, our life. And so that may mean I have to wake up a little bit later. So, um, yeah, self-prioritization is what I wish I knew back in 2014. (laughs) Well, I wish I was doing it in 2014. But I'm here now, so cheers to arrivals. (laughs) Yes. I think for me, um, when my son was smaller or even, yeah, I, I glamorize what therapy actually was. You know, it's just, honestly, it's the thing that white people, white women, you, you know, like it was that thing. So I didn't think that was something I was supposed to have access to or I was supposed to figure it out. I guess it is a black strength. I'm strong. We don't go to therapy um, mindset. So if I would have known when I didn't have my own apartment or didn't have good health care or all these things. Like I could still reach out and pay a couple dollars each time and speak to someone. I think a lot of the struggles and the frustrations that I may have taken out on my child could have been avoided and diverted because I, I would at least have someone to, to talk to about um, the things that I was going through. So definitely I um, no regrets, but I, I, I think being exposed to therapy being a thing for a black woman that was single and trying to figure out where to live and, you know, where to work 
um, that's that was okay. I, yeah, I think I thought of it as a luxury. Like that's the thing that people with careers and money did, you know. Um, so yeah, that that would be my thing. Yeah, and I would say the same thing. But even before we think about therapy. Like, I didn't know, you know, postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety was really a thing. You know, everybody's like, are you just sad? This is your new baby. You're just, you're just this, you're just that. And what really bothers me is that, you know, we go to the hospital, we have babies, they discharge us two to three days with free diapers, that rough blanket, and you know, the brochure to order those pictures and they say, good luck. And you're sent home without a clue on what to do and what's right and what's wrong. And then that's when the messaging and culture starts to just kind of bleed into our mindset. And we start to develop what we think is right and what is wrong um, through comparison, because that's all, that's the only reference we have. Mm -hmm. I almost wish that you know, every mom is assigned a mental health professional. And sometimes, you know, they'll give you the 1-800 number. If you're feeling sad, you know, call this number. But it it almost should be a prerequisite for discharge. Yeah, like a GYN, right? Like, so that you can get services (laughs) for the first 12 weeks, 16 weeks. Um, It should be required. Um, So I wish I knew that was what it was twice. And I just wasn't sad or missed being, you know, a, a woman without children, like whatever. I wish I could have called a thing a thing and sought help the first time and the second time. Um, I would have to say mine is uh, scared to fail the first time when you first go through it. You feel like you got to get everything right. And by the second and third kid, you don't feel like that no more because you feel like, hey, we didn't been through this roller coaster already. I already know how this is going. And then, as we spoke about earlier, being conditioned and being overprotective of your firstborn, it's like, no, we don't need to do this, or no, we don't need to do that, or only go to the corner, or only go, you know, to the next driveway. I wish it, I wish it wasn't like that. I wish I had more freedom with him back then to experience life because I was younger and to do different things that I didn't do with him then that I do with my younger kids now. They get more of my time, more of me, me being mentally immature in the beginning and not understanding how important time was and the value of time. I my first kid when I was 20. So when you don't understand the value of your time, that time leaves you and you don't get it back. So things that I wish I could have dealt with while I'm dealing with everything else, trying to work, trying to make sure I take care of him, things that were important but not as important as his mental at that time being. I remember him telling me not even weeks ago, he was, I used to, he said, I used to go on field trips and everybody else's parent used to be there except for you. And I felt so bad because I felt like as a mom, how did you feel as a kid at that particular point in time? I had to work. <clears throat> I could not work. So it's still, it's, it's still a struggle. But however, I wish I could have gave him more of my time instead of everything else back then. That was the one of my biggest regrets. Okay. Well, thank y'all so much for um, for that bit. One last thing I want to make sure um, everyone that's watching, if you have not, please like and subscribe. Turn on those notifications if you're on um, if you're on um, YouTube. If you're on Facebook, go on over to the Mommy Grind. 
That's uh, Rabia's platform for moms. And there's so many um, resources, there's community, there's everything there. I, I promise you, just listen to her talk about it. I wish I was a mommy so I can go in there and get, get me some help and get me some help soup, what I like to call it, and just get all the resources that I can get. And after you're done there, go ahead and go to Lovejoy Originals. Nia has the cutest collection of um, affirmation um, wear for the babies. Um, and if you need any kind of assistance, we're going to provide you with the link because Candy's starting up this business. She's got all this stuff going and she's she's here for you. She's she's on her grind as well. And y'all heard all the Brittany doing. I, I can't even keep up with all of them all the time, but she's doing them. And we're going to provide those links as well for her tax business, her real estate, her um, what else was it? License insurance agent. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, ladies, if there was there anything that I missed, anything that you wanted the um the audience to know? Don't be so hard on yourself. If you fail, it's okay. Learn from your mistakes and keep going. That's the only thing I have to say. Yeah, I'll add. You know, when failure just means that you actually try. <laughs> you know, it's evidence. Yep. Keep pushing. Keep going. I'm talking to myself, but stop comparing. You know, your um, your wins, um, Rabia, you mentioned this when we were in our pre-chat, but you, wins are wins, whatever they are. If you wash the dishes today and they was piled up, that's a win. Um, you know, if you started your business and you got three clients and three contracts, that's a win. You know, um, if you did your hair, it, that's a win, you know, big or small, you know, stop comparing because we're all in our own lanes and there's room for everybody. Um, so that's that's my advice to everyone and myself. And, you know, my win is when I found those uh, fruit snacks. The fruit snacks that you have to yourself. Exactly. <laughs> that, and that's exactly. your my children. I ate those the same. <laughs> Of it. Um, I think that. Uh oh, I think we lost. Okay. Okay. You're back. Are you still there? Uh, Yeah, I'm still here. I would say that, listen, um, you are the only version of yourself. You are only you and, you know, you get to create your playbook, right? So um, experience is the best teacher as we know. And honestly, you know, um, if we consider that um, it's not necessarily about uh, failures or losses, it's more about lessons, like what's the lesson in this or what's the learning in this um that uh can be used in your in your toolbox or in 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 your playbook Um, so i say listen be open and receptive to uh the learnings and the lessons and this your secret sauce is you There's, there's no other mama like you so you know like burger king have it or do it your way I'm not promoting Burger King. I'm just saying I like the line. <laughs> so cheers to their marketing team. 
Absolutely. And one last thing, I'm too late. Um, it's not too late. Um, as we're getting ready for the fall cycle of the Royalty Project, if you have children ages 10 to 14, please head on over to the royaltyproject.org, register your children um, for the fall cycle. It is a enlightening, enriching experience experience. And I think every child, it needs to be a program that's in all schools. But until then, I could just tell y'all to go on over there and register. Um, I'd like to thank each and every one of our guests. I thank y'all for giving y'all time to meet me before the show. I thank y'all for giving y'all time to um, come on the show, um, talk, share your um, life experience, your advice, and your just be your whole authentic selves. I thank y'all so much. Um, I thank everybody for watching. And that's it. That's all we got for y'all. We'll see y'all next time on the um, the Wellness Collective. Bye, guys. <laughs>